When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Today, we are delighted to welcome to the club Abby Morgan BAFTA, an Emmy Award winning playwright and screenwriter whose credits include The Iron Lady, Suffragette, Brick Lane, The Hour, Shame, and of course, she's the creator and writer of BBC drama The Split. Abby has most recently turned the pen on herself after a series of extraordinary events in her life and has just published her first book, This Is Not a Pity Memoir. Self-described to the Guardian newspaper as a tufty-haired, one-breasted, 50-something woman who's got a few BAFTAs, <laughs> welcome to the show, Abby Morgan. Yeah, I'm never going to live that down. I don't think, I think it's not bad. I think it's a good description. I sometimes think you have to own a description. I think it is a good description. <laughs> it's very unique. Very true. Thank you so much for coming in. Thanks for having me. We're so delighted to have you. You came to the split quite recently and then you got completely obsessed. And then I was like, but I, uh, Abby can come on the show. And you were like, this is great. I mean, I was beside myself. Yes. <laughs> I was just I telling this. you before we came on to recording mm. that I found the split only a couple of months ago and I binged the whole lot in 10 days. Yeah, I think it's happening that. I think something happened during lockdown. I was saying, you know, I think... People got very into their families. You know, we all had to live with each other and we loved each other and drove each other mad. And it's kind of, I wonder if there's some kind of therapy and watching your, watching families again sort of implode yeah. on, <laughs> on screen. You know, yeah. there yeah. might be something in that, I think. There was something weirdly comforting and uncomfortable about it all at the same time. Well, I guess we love seeing a kind of porthole into people's marriages, don't we? Yes. I mean, I, I've always, that was really the trigger for that series was I just, I met an amazing um, family lawyer who, who specialises in, in divorce. And... Um, she was just exceptional and just started to tell me the stories. And I thought, God, these are just extraordinary stories. And, you you know, you've been out on those mum's evenings where you, you know, you have a couple of glasses of wine and you start to share. And I always think every, you never know what's going on in yep. someone's marriage. Absolutely. What are mm. your feelings about divorce? Because you are married. I am married. Very, quite, quite newly married. Mm. Newly married. You're a um, newlywed. I'm a newlywed. <laughs> uh, I'm one of the oldest newlyweds in town. Um, I, how do I feel about it? I, well, I came from divorce. So my yeah. parents divorced when I was... Probably 12, 13. Yeah. And it's interesting. I think about the day I go 12, 13 because it rumbles on divorce. It's not a neat line, is it? Um, I think divorce is really essential, particularly at a time when we don't all live and, you know, you know, we don't all die at sort of 40. No. And it's a kind of Victorian um, construct marriage in many ways, the traditional notion yes. of marriage. And, yes. and actually it's a huge thing to live by. And also, you know, we all live. We sh- I think in life one should be able to reinvent oneself. Um, what I believe in is trying to find the good divorce. And I think it's brilliant, for example, the no-fault divorce, which we were aware was coming in when we were writing the show. Mm. But we're moving, you know, we, we sort of fudged it so we could give a sense of a no-fault divorce at the mm. end. But that's now in. And that feels really radical and important. 
I don't think anybody gets divorced lightly. No. So I don't think, you know, I don't think anyone wants to be reckless in a divorce. No. But of course, there's huge animosity, you know, hugely complex feelings. And so what I believe about divorce is we have to construct it in a way that makes it um, more holistic, I suppose. And, medi you know, the mediation is absolutely key to it. I didn't realize that actually mainly what the family lawyers really focus on is the finances. Yeah. And the property. That's really where a lot of their work is. And although they will help construct, you know, when you see your children, I think the element of proper child counseling, child therapy around that feels essential. So I just think we just need to get better at it. Mm. I, I think divorce is just the gift that keeps on giving. My parents are also divorced. Mm. And I just think how many things would have been so much simpler in their lives, my life, everyone's lives, mm. had that not happened. Mm. And yet it does. Mm. I work quite hard to stay married. I think anybody does. I mean, I think marriage is, I think marriage, I think, I mean, I think, I think relationships are complex and hard. And, yes. you know, most friendships, you all long term, all, all long term, you know, even your long term girlfriend, yes. you know, you're going to have bumpy moments. But actually, we choose to have a relationship with someone which on the whole, we live with mm. that person. We share everything with that person. Yeah. We both have to be desirable and functioning. You know, those two things are quite hard to go hand in hand. Mm. And so I, I think maybe we put too much pressure and expectation of what marriage should be. Sure. But it is a living, breathing... Organism. Yeah, and it needs work, like anything. Mm. It needs work and mm. effort and time mm. and concentration. And that's quite hard when you're essentially running... You know, each household is like a small empire, isn't it? You're running everything. You're running the holistic side of it. You're running the business side of it. You're running the workings mm. of the day-to-day -day house. And in that as well, there has to be this, this marriage, this beating mm. heart mm. that's at the center of it. Because that came before the children and everything else sometimes. And we'll Not be always. there after. You know, we'll I've, be there after, I have yeah. that interesting thing because both my children and my daughter just finishing her A-levels and is yeah. about to go on her gap year. And I'm suddenly realizing what that means. You know, yeah. to be... You know, you're you're buying two very small pieces of fish in the evening, which you know I'm so used to stocking the <laughs> yeah. fridge, yeah. and even that, I think, well, how's this going to work? You know, I start thinking, how do we get more kids in? How do we get more heartbeats in the house? More so dogs. the very thing that makes it complex is also the what I think feeds it, and 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 I do think there's again, I think it's about reinvention. Mm. You know, I, I I know, you know, I I think at certain key stages, we've all witnessed friends we're close to, you know, go through their complex, their own complex separations, divorces. And I think there are these key moments. I mean, I still feel the hardest period for me in my marriage was the first couple of years when my non-marriage marriage, having only just recently got married, but the first couple of years when my kids were tiny mm. were just exhausting, mm. absolutely exhausting. So I think when you put fatigue and exhaustion in that, it's it, again, the alchemy of the marriage sort of falls apart. For sure. Your book, This Is Not A Pity Memoir, mm. was released this month. It's done brilliantly. Congratulations. And oh, we love thank it. You. Thank you so much. And thank, yeah, thanks for having me. Thanks for reading it. I'm still like, <laughs> I know. It's I a read strange it. feeling, seem, isn't it? You seem surprised that people are reading your book. I think, you know, I, I mean, I, look, I've done so much television and you're constantly looking at viewing figures and you're looking at the consolidation of your viewing figures and you're now looking at iPlayer and how they're doing and will we get another series. And so, I, but books are a completely new yeah. world for me. I mean, I've, I've described it a bit like selling jam at the fate. It feels a very, <laughs> and I don't mean that in a derogatory way. I mean it in the way that you, you get much more interface with the people who are buying your books. Yeah. People, and you, you get, mu and also you're taking people on a very different ride and a very different journey. And yeah. obviously this is a personal memoir. So yeah. it's, I don't have, I don't have actors or directors no. or a producer to hide behind. You know, I've got this great, when I first, one of my first um, movies I adapted, 
I remember being on the red carpet and there's a great photo of me and there's the actors and the directors and the producers and they're all standing having their photograph taken and I'm standing at the side holding everyone's coats and I'm literally <laughs> like under a pile of coats and that's what it always feels like. It always feels like I'm slightly to the side holding the coats while everyone else gets photographed and so it's very, yes. very, perver a there's a perverse thing going on for me which is I wrote something so close to my heart yes, and yeah. so much about my life and yet I'm almost surprised that people are looking at it, you know, and yeah, wanting to look I at it that. but actually we all want to look into people's lives really and I, and and I guess I've been very robust about looking at everyone else's life through the prism of character that I sort of have done the same thing with this book, really. It's always a bit mortifying to summarise someone else's writing. Would you give us a, a synopsis, a quick synopsis of what it's about? Gosh. Following the collapse of my partner after 18 years of being together, uh, three years of madness ensued. And mm. it's about how a family survives and recovers after a devastating um, acquired brain injury and um, all that entails and the subsequent fallout from that. Yeah. So Jacob was on a drugs trial. Yeah. He had MS. He's got MS. So yeah. Jacob was diagnosed in 2011 with multiple sclerosis. He was very lucky because he, he has relapsing remitting um, MS at the moment, which is the, where it comes and goes. But yeah. you, you, you can live a very high functioning life. And he was on the last phase of a pretty successful drugs trial, actually. And um, in the March 2018, so three, four months before Jacob collapsed, the drug was withdrawn mm. voluntarily by the pharmaceutical company and on advice from the European Medical Agency um, following 12 people collapsing on it with various forms of brain inflammation. And it's believed that now Jake is probably one of the additional nine. So that still ten. hasn't been confirmed? No, I mean, I, I can't really talk about it for legal reasons, but suffice to say that the consensus is that Jake's um, collapse was as a result of, of the withdrawal of this drug from him. Okay. And you're just having the most normal day. You're going out to get sushi because mm. your son's finished his GCSEs. Mm. It's like a bog standard day. And then you come home mm. and he's collapsed on the floor. Yeah. And it gets worse and worse and worse. Yeah. So I guess, I guess everybody's lived with man flu, haven't they? We all kind of... Of course. You know, and I think I'm a pretty brutal nurse. I mean, you know, and probably, you know, sort of... Seven, eight years in, which was where we were when Jake collapsed. Um, I, you know, I was used to the kind of rigmarole of, yes, you know, take some paracetamol. <laughs> yeah, and, yeah. and to give Jake his yeah. dues, you know, he's an incredibly active person. He's got a huge joy to be for life. And so when d he did get ill, I kind of always accepted, oh, it must be, it must be the MS. So we sort of knew the routine. But unfortunately, when I came back, um, you know, armed with sushi and... Um, rogue paracetamol, which I think I left on the dashboard of the car, actually. I never found out what I did with those drugs. <laughs> um, but um, he was collapsed on the bathroom floor. And although he was he was semi-conscious, but as I managed to get him to talk to me, I realised one of two things. One, he looked like he'd got dried blood around his mouth. And I thought for a minute he'd put on lipstick. I mean, I really thought I'd walked into some other kind of weird scene. Yeah. But actually, um, and the second thing was he just had this repetition of words and I thought something's not right. So I we called an ambulance and so ensued. Jake was yeah. blue lit to a hospital and we watched over the next two weeks while the doctors tried and worked out what, what was wrong with him. Um, but also, you know, as he cognitively and physically unraveled, it became apparent that the only way Jake would be able to get through this was if they put him in a, into a medically induced coma. So yeah. towards the end of June, he was put into a coma and he woke in late January 2019. Wow. So he was <laughs> in hospital for 443 yeah. days. I know. That's a lot. huge amount. But, you know, it's been very interesting having this book out there because you realise there are so many different um, constellations of medical catastrophe and I've ended up talking to so many people. But I do, 
even then I do realize that Jake was in yeah a hell of a long time and you know I think no one tells you about what it's we've watched you know I I'm a screenwriter and you know the book is very much written through the prism of a screenwriter immediately or you know the way I view the world is in scenes and dialogue and you know the need to shout cut when you can and um but even I had not understood what a coma was like because it's so incredibly active because of course someone is lying there and they're in a deep sleep but you have to obviously give them medication and keep all their vital organs going and monitor but you also have to move them you have to give them physio you have to you have to engage and that's mm. when this incredible team of nurses moved around them and yeah. you know we've all got we're all we're all aware now of how brilliant the NHS were I mean if we didn't know before you know they've certainly proved themselves heroes yeah. post-covid but to witness that kind of tender loving care is is is, a, is moving and you do form these incredibly intense bonds yeah so Jake was in the MITU which is the medically intensive um, treatment unit for eight months and so you get to know these nurses but also you get to know the four or five patients and the rotation of those patients some live some die around you so it's a it's a really intense period and then you're waiting for that moment of reuniting he wakes mm. up mm. I mean it's almost like you couldn't write it even though you wrote it <laughs> yeah. you couldn't make it up yeah I mean I was I was <laughs> fighting with myself about it because on one level I was like this is a brilliant plot twist and then the other <laughs> level was like, like this is such on, a cliche of a plot on. twist yeah so I mean, he develops Capgras syndrome yeah which is the irrational belief that a familiar person or place has been replaced with an exact duplicate so you were essentially just some woman impersonating Abby mm. Morgan to yeah. him yeah I mean it Yes, I mean it's it, it's. It, I mean that's very well very well defined um, diagnosis of what it is. But yes, it is. I mean, what's what was what was interesting about it is because when Jake when someone comes out of a coma, I mean, in some ways it is very rapid. You know, they do sort of open their eyes and they are quickly. I mean, we were very lucky with Jake that we realised that you know the six seven months they diagnosed him with this anti NMDA receptor encephalitis, which is a really rare form of encephalitis that is a global kind of globally affects your brain. Um, but they'd managed through this sort of six, seven months to calm the seizures. And so we had no idea what Jake's brain was going to look like, or other than being told his brain didn't look like yours or mine. But mm. what was so amazing was when he did wake up, he clearly recognised people and he was pleased to see them. And, you know, over the next sort of month, you go through this process of, you know, removal of a tracheotomy so someone can speak again and eat again. And although Jake's voice sounded very gravelly and, and he clearly was different in terms of his processing was very slow and he was very silent... He was when he saw people, he smiled. He would say the odd word, and and so originally, I, you know, and, and initially, I was, I thought he was just this was brilliant. We were, we were, we were excited to see, you know, and relieved to see he was well and alive. But it became apparent over the first sort of two or three weeks that something wasn't right in relation to me, which was his attitude towards me was was different to everyone else. And at first, I thought he's just grumpy and he's just. Yeah. shaking up and it's horrible yeah. he's gone through this awful experience and he hasn't quite um he hasn't quite placed everything in his world and he'll it'll come back but you know slowly and surely I've got a little video and I filmed them in uh, one of the first times we took Jake out in his wheelchair in this beautiful square which is sort of becomes the center of all life Queen Square in next to the hospital and you know, there were family there and we, we brought our dog in. He loves our dog and he was so overwhelmed to see the dog. Aww. And it was very sweet and he's very silent, but, he, you know, and he looks obviously quite frail because, you know, you lose a lot of weight during that period. But every time the camera went, every time I spoke, because I was holding his face would just look and he, it would fall. And I thought something is definitely not right here. And and then on, on um, Valentine's Day, 
um, I tried to give him a really cheesy red heart balloon. I took it and I tied it on the end of his bed thinking he'd find it funny. And when he was pushed by the nurse to give me a equally cheesy red rose, um, you know, the nurse said, give it to your wife. And he said, it's not my wife. Mm-hmm. And that was when I, I just went, okay, wow. What, what is that like to not be like recognized in the truest sense of being not being recognized by the person that you love most? Well, it's interesting because, you know, one of, we talked a little bit about what it's like when you write a book and I poured my heart into the book and I delivered the book and it was great. And I was, I literally thought I'd be able to go, great, that's brilliant, just read the book and let's all move on with our lives. And, um, but I can hear myself when I talk about it, you know, it's, it's still quite live as an experience. Yeah. And I'm still working my way through it, but it's peculiar. It's bizarre. It's hysterically funny on one level. You're like, this can't be serious. And all the time I had this voice inside, you know, I started, I think, then to split slightly and start to talk to the Jacob I knew and I remembered. And I was literally like, oh, my God, Jacob, you are going to find this so funny when you realize what you've done. You're going to find. And I could almost hear him going, yeah, no shit. You know, no shit. This is bizarre, isn't it? And I so I started almost to have this dialogue with the Jacob I knew. And I think that was one survival method. Um but no one tells you, you phys- I mean, I physically shook. I mm. literally kept, on, I mean, I talk about it in the book, but I kept on gripping things going, can you feel the underground? Can oh, you, goodness. and it's, uh, that was what was very odd is I actually felt there was this seismic energy shift in me. And I don't know how to describe it other than that. And I, I, I was just very scattered for the first two or three days. And then I think what kicked in was this huge sense of insult, actually. And I felt very humiliated. Yeah. Because... I just suddenly was outside of... It was like being outside of my life. And I didn't know how to get my way back in. And so I thought, well, I've got to... I have to keep coming because I'm the one that does that. I've still got our children. I've got to bridge this for the children. And also I knew that Jake was in there. I knew that Jake was was very, very ill still. And clearly something during that six or seven months had gone drastically wrong. But in fact, discovering about the cat bra was interesting because it was actually my son... He discovered it online. Thank you, Mr. Oh, Google. wow. And so he was so the one. So it didn't come from the doctors in the hospital? Not initially, no. So we went wow. and said, have you heard about Capgras? And of course they'd heard about it. And they were very clearly going, well, it's very unusual that it would happen. You know, we'd normally see it post a traumatic brain injury, so a car crash or certainly in dementia. It's something mm-hmm. that you that happens a lot. And, you know, it can be, as you say, you know, it could be a dog, it can be a house. People often come back and go, this isn't my house anymore. Oh, wow. <laughs> so there is a sort of... You know, you do have to. Did it any? It was only with you. It wasn't with anyone else no one in else. his life. Incredible. No one else. No one else. He had a, a slight moment with the children at the beginning, but very quickly that was solved. Um, but yeah. This episode is sponsored by Horizon Studios. If you're traveling this year and looking for high quality, sustainable and beautifully designed luggage, then look no further than Horizon Studios, who've launched two new ranges. The RE series, the world's most sustainable 97% recycled luggage, and now the revolutionary Air series, the world's lightest high-end suitcase. If you have airport anxiety, worrying about the weight of your case when it goes on those scales, then the Air Series is for you and it is definitely for me. The Air Series pushes the boundaries of travel. Each detail is designed and engineered to combine an ultralight and durable product. It's significantly lighter than regular suitcases, thank goodness Lauren, that is brilliant. And it comes with a lifetime warranty because the most sustainable suitcase is the one that you only buy once. We used the cases to go to Paris and Wales last year, and as chronic overpackers, we could still wheel them around with ease. We could. 
Ultra light and compact, the Air Series is made from a premium polycarbonate hard shell with reduced thickness and a recycled lining. It's 100% vegan and produced in a way that is 99% waste-free, blending design and function seamlessly. So, Nicole, you can pack those extra five pairs of shoes with no stress. The entire range is available on the Horizon Studios website and in all leading department stores. Just go to www.horizon-studios.com. Horizon Studios, let's go further. This week we are sponsored by Notion. Why do we love Notion? Because it brings our ideas to life. It's like having access to tomorrow's tools today by combining all our research scripts and notes into one simple space with the added power of AI built right inside, not a separate AI tool or browser tab. I used it the other day to plan all our social content for the next three months. It's made what's usually a really long, daunting task super quick, simple and streamlined, leaving us with more time and energy to focus on what truly matters, which is bringing self-care to the listeners and less stress for us. Notion is a place where any team can write, plan, organise and rediscover the joy of play and the Notion AI turns that knowledge into action. It can answer any question in seconds, summarise your meeting notes and keeps you completely organised. If you can think it, you can make it. It's become an integral part of our podcasting toolkit and we're calling it self-care. Try Notion for free when you go to notion.com slash self-care club. That's all lowercase letters, notion.com slash self-care club and start turning I ideas into action and when you use our link you're supporting our show notion.com slash self-care club and then in the middle of all of this as if that wasn't enough yeah for like one lifetime you then get diagnosed with stage three breast cancer yes i promise you this book has funny elements it's not i mean all no it does it's it hilarious i know it doesn't sound hilarious but it is. But it's well. I mean, I think hilarity has to go hand in hand with something so dark and uh, bizarre. For sure. And I mean, yeah, the cancer diagnosis was just. I mean, even now they weirdly they are becoming more like separate experiences because sure. I think while you're in it they merge very yeah. much. But I can start to see a very clear line. But I guess you know it was a massive wake up call because you know I'd, I'd thought about everyone else's deadlines. I'd worked to deadlines my entire yeah. life, but suddenly this kind of ultimate deadline of death was really you know terrifying and. Suddenly felt very real because, you know, it's stage three, grade three, it's triple negative. So it's one of the cancers that they don't know why it comes. It's not genetic. Um, I'd clearly been very absorbed with looking after Jacob. So I hadn't taken care of myself to be on the self-care club. You know, I wasn't doing much of that. Um, a lot of chocolate, a lot of diet coat, a lot of driving, a lot of late nights. Mm. And I just thought I'd run my body down. Um, I mean, you've just explained Lauren's whole self-care routine. That was basically it. <laughs> yeah. That's it, really. Like, yeah, well, I mean, I think a lot, of, I think we all, we all resort to that. I mean, I think we all spread ourselves very thin, you know. So I think what the cancer diagnosis did do for me was make me go, okay, you know, we're one parent down, my kids can't be two parents down. And, yeah. so, and also my oncologist was so amazing and my surgeon was so amazing. And they said they were just like, this is going to be a massive inconvenience. We're going to get you through this. Oh. And I think they just, oh. I can't describe, attitude. I can't describe what they both were like, but they were like, we're going to get through this. Yeah. Absolutely. And they were so adamant in their conviction, even though I knew the statistics, I knew that, you know, I knew that they, no one can guarantee that. Um, but, and I also had my incredible family, you know, my kids were, uh, that was probably the hardest thing was telling them, but yeah. they were just incredible and they have been incredible. I, I'm literally not doing a spin for the, the book or the lives, I, I think teenagers are the great joy in life. I, agree. I love, love, I love teenagers. I love their energy. I love their energy. Yeah. I love the fact, I love their, 
their brilliant drive for life that as terrible as it what's happening to you they still want to go out and have a party yeah. you know I I love that and so I think they kept me going and my my brother and my sister and my mum were amazing Jake's family really p- stepped up and as they had done through the whole thing but they really helped and you know they they took on much more of the visiting they'd always been there but I was able to them you know, just get through it. And I guess, I mean, what was funny was was suddenly being so depleted in front of Jacob when he was depleted. And I yeah. think that also, you know, in the, I talk about this idea of dropping pebbles into a deep ocean. And, you know, I was always struggling with the metaphors of, the, of where Jacob was. You know, sometimes he was high, far away in another galaxy. Other times he's deep underwater. Um, but I would see that things were ricocheting back to him. So when I told him about the cancer, he was like, I could see the worry and he couldn't quite process why something was making him so perturbed about someone he didn't know very well. So that was also, I think, weirdly another way that he started to care and want to face way way back. And, you know, we have a very normal marriage. You know, we had our highs and our lows, and we definitely fought, and we definitely had moments where we looked at each other and went, can we get through this together? But the one thing that I've always loved about Jacob that is always there is he's just warm and empathetic, and he's a really beautiful man, and... And he just always has been that. And even when he was going through this, I thought, God, you don't even know me and you're in pain about me. And you're, and he was very sweet. But we are, we honestly, we look just so comical, the two of us together, because, you know, obviously I lost all my hair. And, you know, if you've gone through, you know, 24 weeks of chemo and then mastectomy and then radiotherapy, it takes, it really takes it out of you. Um, but we did become the most bizarre odd couple. I think I think the nurses in the hospitals kept on getting incredibly <laughs> confused who was the patient. Abby, at what point did you start writing the book? Or how did the idea come about? At what mm. point in this whole journey did you think, actually, I just want to put pen to paper and get this down? Well, I always say I'm better on paper than, you know, in person. So I, I disagree. Well, you know, I got, I'm getting better. You know, I'm learning. I'm honing my skills. But... Um, I started, but I very quick. The first night Jake collapsed, I started to write what had happened that day because I really felt I just couldn't sleep actually. And I, I think writing is where I'd normally go to. I write out when I'm worried, if I'm angry with someone, or if I'm upset, or if I love someone, or I've always written. I've always that's the way. Part of your self care. So my self care. I always, you know, every year. I didn't do it this year. In the last couple of years, I've really failed. I'm sorry, kids. But every year, I always write incredibly long cards to my kids oh. with everything about that year. And it's just, yeah, they're, you know, words. I'm definitely, I'm, I should do way more action. I'm a lot of words. Um, but I started to write down because I, I felt this huge sense of needing to keep hold of the narrative. And I knew it was a narrative because I felt every day there was another incredible bit yeah. of the story. Uh, so I, was, I kept a very, very intense diary for the first 100 days. And then... What started to happen through that 100 days and beyond is that you, you you start to create an incredible sort of database of material anyway because you're Googling things. So you have search histories and you're emailing each other and you're WhatsApping yeah. and you're taking photos and you're videoing. and So it's taking on a life of its so own. So it, it started to have a life of its own. So when I came to actually write the book, which I wrote the book when Jacob had been home. Um, gosh, let me think about this now. He had been home. So I, wrote, I started to write the book in the autumn 2020. So he'd been home a year and a bit and um he came home yeah about a year he came home in in september 2019 he'd been visiting all through the summer so he's having small breaks at home but he was signed off from the hospital in september um and and i so i started to write it and very late at night and i didn't go i'm going to write a book i just i was so overwhelmed because no one tells you i think that rehab as amazing as the rehab is and as amazing as the NHS is, they are also incredibly stretched in terms of their resources. And so they kept Jacob as long as they could. Yeah. But actually, I think we all felt it was essentially came home. Um, 
And there were real questions about whether home was the right place for him. But I just knew if we got him back, that would be also a really key part of getting him orientated to his life and who mm. I was really. And yeah. Because, um, you know, he was still very adamant that I wasn't. And, and yeah, and so that went on for a year and a half, maybe. I mean, the last six months of the year was better, but the first year was... But, you know, what he what did evolve was a huge friendship. And, you know, the, the, the neuropsychiatrists, they work on this idea, theory A, theory B. So you should never dispute the delusion. You should go with the delusion. Mm. But what you have to say is theory A, Jake, you know, it, you know, absolutely, this is not Abby Morgan, as he referred to. Like yeah, the real name. Abby Morgan. Yeah. <laughs> you're not Abby Morgan. But theory B is you can never be 100% sure about something. So say you're 99%, there's this 1% chance. What do you think about that? And the idea is you build up that percentage every day. And yeah. it just didn't work for Jake because he's he's clever and he's wily and he yeah. knew what was going on. He was like, no. I'm thinking about that scene in the book when you're wearing the jumper <clears throat> and he says, I bought that jumper for Abby. Yeah. And you say, would you prefer if I took it off? Yeah. He says, yes, yes, please. <laughs> yeah, he says, yes, you're going to stretch it. Yeah, no, I know. <laughs> even more insulting That's is even better. Rude yeah, yeah. And he, yeah, but you know, but the other thing I started to realize, um, yeah, so so I, st I wrote, sorry, I started the book in, in probably that autumn and we were going through the second lockdown, just the edge of the second lockdown, I think. Mm. And um, I just sat down one night. I didn't plan it. And I pulled up the diary and I started and I just kept going. And what I did was I wrote it chapter by chapter. And every time I'd finished a chapter, I gave it to my sister who works with me. Um, she helps run my little, very little company. And um, she would read it and I'd say, what do you think? And she'd go, great, keep going. And I got to about chapter eight and she went, Abby, this is great, but you've not mentioned you had, you've had cancer. And I had forgotten to put the cancer in. Wow. And wow. so that's how focused I was on him and it. You know, I was so sort of... Yeah, so, but, so yeah, that's how I started it, really. It is like an intimate journey into your mind, is how I felt. And Especially your relationship. All of it. Yeah. Does that seem bonkers to you as an outsider? No, but it was very raw to mm. read, and it felt, I wondered how exposing it mm. felt to you when that's, you'd finally yes. mm. sent it off, mm. and it no longer belonged just to you, but it belonged to the world. Because it's not a romanticized idea of a relationship. Mm. It's very real mm. about how things work on a day-to-day -day basis. And it's things that people don't talk about, mm. sometimes even their best friends. Yeah. And I, in fact, Abby, I thought it was so brave mm. and vulnerable and mm. refreshing. And I, I was totally blown away by the intimacy of it. I really was. Well, I, I, you know, you, I'm sure you know Brene Brown and the you know, power of vulnerability. Yes. And I'm, I'm a huge believer in... Um, it's interesting, you know, I'm a huge believer in vulnerability. Yes. And that doesn't mean vulnerability that isn't held or out of control vulnerability. I'm talking about vulnerability which is human and real and yeah. shouldn't you shouldn't be embarrassed of it because that's what makes us what we are. Totally. It's interesting. I, I, def I, I think the people I want to protect the most is always my family and also Jacob yeah. primarily. And so I've really wrestled with that and how much I've told of Jacob's story. And I, as I talk about in the book, I struggle to whose story is it? Is it mine? Is it his? Is it our, ours? And I think it is the story of us. Yeah. You know, it's the publishers who said it's a love story, isn't it? And I yeah. was like, gosh, I hadn't thought about it. But then when I read it back, I think it is a love story. And I think one of the things that I came away from this, I always knew I loved Jake, but I didn't know how much I loved him. And then the second, your second point, oh, which is so it's out thing. in the world and it's, it, it's, it's only one life. And it's only my life. And, you know, my life from that point is in my life again. It's our life again. I close yeah. the door again. Yeah. So actually, my yeah. privacy, you know, what, what, so what did I tell people? I told people my worst feelings about myself and the world. And then I close the door again and get on with my life. I don't think there's anything that I, I don't think that's a terrible or a bad thing. And I also think that 
I think we feel it, terrible it's things. Thing. It's a wondrous thing. Well, it's it's what we should, but 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 that's not. I mean, I'm not planning to do that again right now. And but I do that with my characters. You know, I I I do that with characters, and I watch actors who I'm. You know, I come from actors. My family are all actors, but I love, love, love actors because what I love about actors is the way they will adopt your words and make them their own. And mm. I watch actors give of themselves. Mm. And of course, they can have. They say they're in a character, and they are, and that's a brilliant shield and a brilliant way to access those emotions. But they are brave and they are vulnerable. And I'm not saying they're they're certainly not frontline, you know, Sons Frontier workers. So I'm not comparing that kind of bravery and. You know, globally, I also think it's a tiny story. You know, I look at the world. I mean, I talk about that in the book, that there's a kind of waking up. You get so absorbed with the experience of going through this that you put your head above the parapet, you know, and you suddenly go, God, there's a world out there, and it's way more it's it's way more fundamental and, billion, you know, important than this. This too will pass. I will pass. I will die. I may die sooner than I thought I would. And I've had to come to terms with saying, this is enough. Mm. And actually, what's the... The, the, the two the, the emotions I hate most in the world to feel is embarrassment and pity. Mm. And I've put myself out there, I and mean, I could feel both of those about this. And I Hence the title. Re- hence, <laughs> hence the title, but I refuse to because I think, uh, I think there's nothing wrong with showing someone the worst parts of yourself. I, I, I often love characters who show their worst parts of themselves. Yeah, agreed. And it's one of the things interesting when you write characters, one of the biggest notes always comes back is, but are they likable? And I always say, do they have to be likable? Can we not, are we not big enough to not like people at times, but understand them and want to stay with them? Lovely. Mm. I feel like that about succession. They're all vile, but it's totally (laughs) addictive. As Brene Brown says, people are hard to hate close up, move in. Oh, nice. Yeah. That's what she says. And it's true. And I think it's a very, it's a very, it's a really, I love the fact you knew that quote. I think the thing that's very interesting in this about my children and it will, you know, I know my children have a way to go for them. So they have their lives to live and they have their time to process. But one of the things I felt with my children was I didn't lean away from them. I leant in and I went, this is frightening. I am frightened. Don't be frightened. Yeah. Oh, we're going to get through this. But we, we, we'll, this will be more terrifying if we don't admit how scary this is. And yeah. in a weird way, I think when when we did that, it, it created such a bond. And I think we were all so focused on surviving and recovering. I mean... It is so bleak when you go through something like this. And my heart goes out to anyone who's had cancer or is going through a medical catastrophe. And, you know, even if who is shaken by the global fundamental terrors of the world right now, there are really, really bleak moments in us all. And I think that is when you have to really lean into each other and just hold mm. each other tight and go, I don't know what comes next. Mm. But let's just keep let's just keep going. And that's sort of what we did as a family and, and certainly that unit of us. You were so... Um unsentimental about everything in the book mm. and I liked that there was no romanticizing of like why me why mm. why is this happening well she it, said it was one of her worst things to feel is pity. pity I know but it was I found that whole sometimes bad shit happens on the most random day I found that very refreshing and do you still feel like that or now time has passed do you feel differently no I don't I feel very I feel very I mean all those things that you know, I'm, I think all of those things that we struggle to hold on to, you know, this isn't a dress rehearsal. I must have gratitude every day. Yeah. Of course, yeah. they go out of the window when, you know, you're throwing out, you know, yeah. a mouldy vegetable <laughs> drawer in your fridge or, you're, you know, you're another f- script has gone belly up. You yeah. know, we all have those. But I think what I do feel is I don't take for granted time and how much time I have here now. And that feels very prevalent. And, you know, let us hope I live into my 90s. But if I don't, I, I do feel very present now in making this moment. Uh, 
and that doesn't mean it's it's puppies and hearts every day. I just mean I try not to sweat the big stuff, mm. and I take care of the small stuff. Lovely. And I think that's the thing. The small stuff is passing my daughter, and she'll just grunt, and I go, I must go back up and check in with her. The big stuff is, God, should I? Will I get that Oscar film or not? That's the big stuff. That you know, that's not important. That's I beyond love, my control. I love that. That's your big but stuff. The stuff yeah. so the cool. <laughs> but the stuff that's small. The stuff that's small is the stuff you can control and you can have some effect with. Yeah. yeah. And so I, I suppose I focus on the stuff that I can have effect with. And also I got lucky. You know, Jacob. Jacob's come back. You know, and I kept on using that phrase and think, realizing there was a point a year ago where I went, actually, I must stop thinking he's come back and just think. We, we, were, we were moving forward, and yeah. that's what I try and think now. But to a certain degree, so much of what we lost with Jacob we're now seeing in good. the last six months. And you know? how are you now? I'm good. I'm, I'm two, two months clear. I mean... Congratulations. Thank you very much. Um, I get checked quite regularly. Excellent. I tell, you know, and I know everyone says this. Can I say one key thing? Don't look for the pea. Everyone told me, look, you should feel like a pea. Look for the grape or the lemon. Okay. Or oh, wow. the plum. Because okay. it, and it will feel like you're the curve of your breast. Okay. So if you feel something bigger than that, always get it checked. Because I think I had thought there was just a small lump that you had to look for. And if mm. you miss that and it goes on, then that's that's where it gets okay. serious. So I think things like that Thank are just you. get yourself checked. Um, but I know I'm good. I'm good. The kids are good getting through their, their exams. And what are you doing for your self-care? Well, actually, it's really interesting. My sister and I keep talking about January as the year of health, <laughs> and uh, it's it's. So my daughter is is just finished doing her A levels, and is going to work for a bit, and then go off on her gap year. And Jake's in a pretty good place now, which is exciting. Mm -hmm. You know, we've just said goodbye to his last carer, which is unbelievable. Wow! And we have a housekeeper now who sort of helps. Um, I, so my self care is about to start. I I've put on lots of weight. I really want to lose some weight. Um, I'd like to. My anxiety is pretty good, but I like to. I do tapping, which I oh, find incredibly we're helpful. That in a few we weeks. Are I find that incredibly that. helpful. Yeah. I did a project um, uh, about Navy SEALs about, gosh, five, six years ago. And I worked with a, an amazing psychiatrist who works with the military, and they would do tapping. And I find tapping incredibly useful. So it's just about connecting and bringing your body down. So I do a little bit of that. But also, you know, my self care is. A great cocktail with my girlfriends. Yes. Or a I've started to read again, which has yes. been wonderful. So a great book. Down with that. Um, spending times with with people I love. Yeah. Dinners with Lovely. cooking is an amazing self care for me. Yeah. And just trying to get back into my garden. I suppose those things. Cool. I love all those things. Those are all of my those favorite things. things. I'm sorry, but I want. I should be saying I'm going to run a marathon, but um, no, but should. I definitely oh. going to. I'm definitely. But th that's something I'm definitely thinking about. Is more. Um. You know is just how you sort of, you know, it's very interesting being in your 50s and definitely everything fades in your 50s. And so you start thinking, God, how do I keep my visibility within my, and I realize my visibility is to myself. Oh, you know, I, I need that. to sort of see myself. So that's what I'm working on with that. So I need too much like it should be printed on a T-shirt. It should be. <laughs> <laughs> when you were in, let's say, the darkest nights, mm. the worst mm. bits of all of this, what did you reach for? What helped you? What if any advice do you have for anyone who's dealing with something hugely catastrophic or, or just what worked for you? Um, well, I had very one very, very dark night where I literally thought I'm not going to get through tonight. And it was the first time I've ever experienced anything like that where I thought I have a choice here about whether I go forward and right in this moment, I'm just not going to go forward. So I, that's when I reached to my sister. So reach out to ones you love. 
Um, Grey's Anatomy. My God, did that help that I was halfway through a box set? There's a I lot needed, of it. Needed to get thought. Well, and I had my children, obviously. But I think it was just tiny things. I mean, for me, it was just, you know, I think if you've gone through chemotherapy, it's just that, you know, ask for the anti-sickness drug that they quite often don't give you and make sure they give you it because that really helped me get through those worst moments. Um, and just, you know, leaning into those I loved and letting them take care of me and letting mm -hmm. them see me at my worst and just trusting that it would we would get through it and trusting I could give back after this because you do feel like... You know, I had I did have an incredible network of friends, and it's not just to do with the fact that I'm a truly beautiful person. Um, it's to do with the fact that people surprise you. You know, friends I didn't know cared, cared. But you know, neighbors I didn't really know left you know jars of honey on my oh. front doorstep. You know, people care. People want to care. Yeah, and they do. And the, and the, and I really do believe the world is good. And you have and to let them, don't you? Yeah, you, you have do. To let you have care. to let them. And you have to kind of notch your head and go, okay, I'm, I'm going to do payback on that. I remember that one. I remember it. Mm. Just remember it and notch it. And then when they need it, make sure you give back. Mm. Abby Morgan, thank you so much for coming in. Aww. You have been a delight. Your book is a delight. Your writing is just Aww, an absolute joy. Thanks thank so you. much. Thanks for having me. Gorgeous. Motherkind podcast explores how to feel happier, more confident and empowered in your motherhood, even in our world of pressure, judgment and comparison. I'm your host Zoe Blasky and every week I speak to an incredible expert to share actionable steps and powerful lessons to living your life as a mother with more joy and unapologetic confidence. Listen wherever you get your podcasts, just search Motherkind. Kind.